Hello everyone and welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. So before we get started today, I want to go ahead and remind everyone to like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you may be listening to podcasts. It helps get the message out there and gets us into the algorithm. So today we're actually going to be going to Grace Community Church over in New Canaan, Connecticut. Uh, Pastor Cliff Connectly has a special message for us today, remembering God's goodness. Too often we forget about God's goodness, and this is about the time that we are celebrating Thanksgiving. So let's put our hearts and minds in the thanks and remembering the goodness of God. question this morning is simple. How do you grow in your faith? For some of us here, this issue of faith in Christ is a possibility we're considering. For others of us, we've recently put our faith in Christ. For me, it's been over 55 years that I have put my faith in Christ. So the question is though, how do you, wherever you are in your stage of spiritual pilgrimage, how do you grow in your faith? And two points this morning. You remember who God is and what God has done. And secondly, you give thanks. You wanna have a relationship with God? Do you wanna have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You and I have to give thanks. Getting thanks is very personal. I don't thank the glass for being transparent, that I can see through it. I don't thank the impersonal. I thank a personal being for thinking of me and for being generous to me. And so when I thank God, I am saying, God, you are personal. You love me. And I want to connect with you in a personal way. And so we remember who God is, what he's done. And secondly, we give thanks. So let's remember who God is, what God has done, what God is doing now, and what God will do. Read the Gospels. That's how I grow in my faith. I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I look intently at Jesus Christ, and I seek to trust him more deeply. I'm not a very brave guy. I struggle with anxiety and fear. But as I focus on remembering what God has done, understanding that he's at work today and holding on to his promises. And then as I begin to thank him, I grow in my faith. Remember God, give thanks. Together, remember God, give thanks. One more time, remember God, give thanks. All right, first passage, Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is talking about his second return. What? You're coming back, Jesus? Yeah, I'm coming back, he said. No one knows the day or hour of my return, not the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. For two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, and that's the key verse. Therefore, keep watch, Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Christ could return tonight, 10 years from now, 100 years from now. I don't know when he's going to return. But I do know I want to be ready. I do know I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ one day, look him face to face. And he said to me, keep watch, Cliff. In other words, think thoughts that are pleasing to Christ. Do deeds that honor him. Have attitudes that honor him, that show that you love him, that show that he is the ultimate priority in your life. 
Christ is coming again one day, which means all the pain in Gaza, all the pain in Ukraine, the killing, the slaughtering, the mutilation of human life, all the pain in Mount Sinai and Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, Hospital of Special Surgery, all the pain relationally, it's going to come to an abrupt halt when Jesus Christ returns in power and great glory. Righteousness will prevail. Disease will be arrested. Death will be abolished. War will be abolished. Nature will be changed. People will live as God intended. Now, folks, that's weird. That's really weird. Because you and I live in a culture that says, no, uh-uh. You don't change people and ultimately death wins. Really? Jesus Christ says no. Now, if I'm going to grow in my faith, I've got to remember his promise to return a second time. Yeah, but Cliff, people make promises. Yeah, but not all people die and rise from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is solid evidence that you can trust him. And when he promises to return a second time, he keeps his promises. Now, what does this also mean that he's coming a second time? It means that God is eternal. Remember God. Thank him. He is the eternal God without beginning, without end. Whoa. That's big. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And he's personal. He loves you. He loves me. Now, wouldn't it be wise for you and me to get in touch with that type of God? Yeah, it sure would be. Wouldn't it be wise for you and me to learn to stand in awe of God, in the way we worship God, in the way we obey him, motivated by awe of his grandeur, his majesty, his eternity, his power, his personalness? Keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. He will come. You'll see him one day. I will see him one day. Remember that. Give thanks to him. Secondly, Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. And this line in verse 40, and repeated in verse 45, is fascinating. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers or sisters, you did for me. The least of these. You know, the people who are not invited to the parties. You know, the people who are not hired, because they're losers. You know, the low life. Jesus says, whatever you do for one of the least of these, you do for me. Remember that. Why? Because you and I live in a culture that says, who are the celebrities? Who are the popular people? Who are the powerful people? Who are the wealthy people? Who are the movers and the shakers? Well, those are the folks you want to hang with. Yes, we want to hang with everybody. But remember, Jesus said, whatever you do for one of the least of these, you've done for me. What's that a statement of? It's a statement of the intrinsic innate value of human life. And when you and I live in a culture that has the pecking order, when you and I live in a culture that says, oh, they're the important people, oh, they're the famous people, oh, they're the celebrities, they're the really significant ones, don't buy it. Remember that Almighty God created every single human being in his image. 
And it really doesn't matter what your IQ is. It really doesn't matter where you go to school or where you live or what kind of car you drive or how many vacations you go on. You're a human being, and everybody's a human being, created in the image of God, which means we all have innate value and dignity. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, and pray tell, what's that based on? It's based on a biblical worldview, that there's a God at the center of this cosmos who loves you, who created you and me for a purpose, who now has eternity in heaven for you and for me when we trust in him. Remember and thank. Remember and thank why you're valuable, why you are significant. It's because of God. And when you stand in awe of God, you learn to stand in awe of people. And you begin to remember, whatever you do for the least of these, Jesus says, you're doing for me. Remember and give thanks. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel, they will save it. What does it profit a person if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? What could a person give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of them when he comes with his Father's angels with his power and great glory. All right, the key verse there is, for me, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Well, I'm sorry, I've got my priorities. I've got my ambitions. Uh-huh. And you're going to learn to let that go, Cliff. You're going to learn that self-absorption robs us of the capacity to tune in and attend to others. Why do the majority of marriages fall apart? I think a big part of it is I become self-absorbed. It's all about me. Isn't it fun to live with someone where it's all about them? That's just a blast, isn't it? Really makes it good to get up in the morning, doesn't it? You know, it's, well, we've talked about me for 10 minutes. Now let's change the topic. Why don't you talk about me for another 10 minutes? That's just such fun, isn't it? And Jesus says, you know something? If you want to find life, you're going to have to lose yourself. It's paradoxical. It's counterintuitive. But if you want real life, you're going to lose yourself for God. You're going to lose yourself for others. And it makes sense, that paradox. Because self-absorption robs us of the capacity to tune into and to attend to others. You want to have a good marriage? You learn to forget yourself and you learn to focus on the other person. You want to have a good family? You learn to forget yourself and you got to figure out who's going to do the servant's work in this family, in this job, on this team. Who's going to be a servant and build others up and lose their life? You see, you and I are valuable because we're created in the image of God. But we have this uncanny ability to become self-absorbed. And self-absorption hinders our ability to grow healthy relationships. Self-absorption 
hinders our ability to grow healthy relationships. But when I remember God, when I remember the cross of Christ and the self-sacrificial love of Christ, when I begin to understand that I am created to thank God for his amazing generosity, for his amazing grace, what happens? The act of thanking God, and this is why it's so important for me, and it's not easy for me, but the act of thanking God is gratitude, and that gratitude pulls me out of my self-absorption. You want to solve the problem of your selfishness? Well, learn to thank God. Because it's amazing how thanking God, giving gratitude to God, pulls me out of my fixation with Cliff. And it produces joy. And it produces faith in God. And that is incredible. So remember God. Remember Jesus and what he taught. And give thanks. Express gratitude to God. And then in Mark chapter 11, some of Jesus' critiquers say, you know, Jesus, you kicked the money changers out of the temple. You overturned the people's money-making enterprise. You drove them out of the temple with a whip. And then you rode a donkey into Jerusalem, and you accepted the laud and the praise and the honor of thousands of people. And then you act like you have the right interpretation of the Old Testament and that we Pharisees and Sadducees don't. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Where does your authority come from? And Jesus says, well, um, I got a question for you. John the Baptist, his ministry, was it from heaven or from people? And the Pharisees and Sadducees are thinking, oh gosh, what a quagmire he's put us in. If we say John the Baptist was from heaven, then he'll say, why didn't you believe him? And if we say he was just from earth, from a human perspective, oh gosh. We fear the people because they respect John the Baptist. So the Pharisees say to Jesus, we don't know where John the Baptist's teaching came from, really. And Jesus says, well, neither will I tell you where my authority comes from. Now, it's fascinating the way he handled that situation. He refused to step into the trap of giving his enemies an easy out. You're a blasphemer. We're going to nail you right away, Christ. But he also left it totally open about where his authority comes from. And some skeptics say to me, yeah, Cliff, that's exactly what I don't like about this passage. Jesus is playing a game with these people. No, he's not playing a game with them. He's dealing with people who have already made up their mind. They already made up their mind. Christ, you're false. You're a blasphemer. And we're going to get you, and we're going to nail you, quite literally. And so he doesn't hop into the game playing with them. You see, it's fascinating. God loves all of us. But if we're going to already make up our minds and not being open to him, if we're not going to be open-minded with God, God's not going to hop into our game playing. Instead, what Jesus points out is God wants your heart. He wants your sincerity. He wants your authenticity. He wants you to be real and authentic, believe it or not. 
in spite of what you've thought about Christianity and other world religions and the hypocrisy, Christ wants your authenticity. He wants your open-mindedness. He wants your open-heartedness because he really loves you. And so the challenge is, yes, I realize that ultimately all authority belongs to God, to Christ. And I've got to remember that. If I'm going to grow in my faith, I've got to remember all authority belongs ultimately to him. How does the Bible begin? In the beginning, God said, let there be light. That's authority. Now, what is authority? Authority is power. And good authority is power used for good purposes. Authority is bringing order out of chaos. Let there be light. And there was light. And God created this amazing universe. Authority of Jesus. He stands before the tomb of Lazarus, who's dead, whose body's been rotting for a couple of days now. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man gets up and comes out. Serious power. Serious authority. And then Jesus in Mark chapter 4 is with the disciples. And they're in a boat and it's getting real stormy. And the waters are beginning to come into the boat. And Jesus stands up. And he does something crazy. He says to the wind, be quiet. And he says to the waves, sit down, lie down. And nature obeys him. Okay, you got to grapple with that. That means he's really the creator of heaven and earth. And nature obeys him. And when you begin to grapple with the authority of Jesus Christ, then when it comes to every single area of my life, he is the authority. And I've got to remember that. It's not easy for me. Why? Because I like to be the authority. I'm not. Ultimately, Christ is. And you see, when I remember that, and then when I begin to thank him that he's a good authority figure, because he uses power for good, he never uses power for evil like so many human beings do. He uses power for good. Then all of a sudden, the lights begin to go on. And I say, you know something? I'm going to do my marriage, my family, my finances, my sexuality, my career. I'm going to do it his way, for he is the ultimate authority. How do you grow in faith? You grow in faith by remembering who God is, who Jesus is. You begin to remember what he's done, what he's doing now, and what he will do. Now, this is particularly important for me, and I'm sure for many of you, when it comes to going through difficult times in life. You've gone through, and you're some of us are going through, and some of us definitely will be going through difficult times in life. And I can be caught up with the question, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Aren't you good? Don't you know that I've prayed? And I've prayed for success, and I'm not very successful right now. I've prayed for health, and I'm not very healthy right now. So come on, God. You see, that's not the question. Why, God, did you allow this to happen to me? Rather, the question is, God, what are you trying to teach me in the midst of this pain? And you see, when I begin to get to that point in life, 
What I'm doing is I'm remembering God's goodness. I'm remembering God's power. And I'm learning to thank him in the midst of the difficult times in life. Oh, that's just a trick you're playing, Cliff, mm, with your mind. No, it's not. It's a result of looking at the cross of Christ. Why on earth does Jesus have to go through the cross? Ultimately, I don't know. But what he clearly taught was he went through the cross to absorb the penalty for human evil, thereby offering forgiveness and eternal life to all who trust in him, which radically changes a Christian's understanding of suffering and pain. We begin to understand God is big enough, good enough, loving enough, and powerful enough to even work in the midst of pain. And so when you and I experience pain, the question is not, why God, why God, why God? Yes, we can ask that question. But the next step to a deeper spiritual walk with Christ is, Lord Jesus, what are you trying to teach me in the midst of this painful situation? You see, all authority ultimately belongs to him. And then the next passage that is good to remember is, in Mark chapter 13, we read beginning in verse 1, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. I mean, this is an architectural masterpiece, this temple. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Excuse me? This is magnificent. All the stone, the ruggedness, the architecture, a masterpiece. That's my perspective, isn't it? Wow, what magnificent buildings, what magnificent accomplishments. We human beings are really talented. But Jesus' perspective is totally different. Jesus' perspective is, guess what, guys? God is going to judge the Jewish people for their wrongdoing. And there's not going to be one stone left on another. And that happened 40 years later. As the Roman occupation force decided, enough of you Jews, we are going to bring an end to this rebellion. And they destroyed Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple in A.D. 70. So what's my perspective? Wow, beautiful architecture. Wow, beautiful art. Wow, tremendous athletic talent. Whoa, that's a lot of money. Whoa, that's an incredible experience of life. Or is my perspective in life, God, what are you doing? And how can I join you in whatever it is you're doing? You see, that's how you grow in faith, by asking that type of question. And then you begin to thank him that he is at work in the midst of the situation, and you can join him in that work, which means your life does have meaning and purpose, for God created you for a purpose. How do you grow in faith? By remembering God and by thanking him. And then in Mark chapter 15, we have a lot of the words of Jesus and the words of those who saw him crucified. Pontius Pilate, what do you want me to do with Jesus, king of the Jews? A little sarcasm, a little contempt. This Jesus, king of the Jews, give me a break. He doesn't have any power. 
And then the soldiers who arrested Christ, hail king of the Jews, as they slap him, spit on him, and put a robe of purple on him. And then as he's hung on a cross, people walk back and forth and say, yeah, Jesus said he's going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Ha, ha, ha. And then others said, he saved others. He can't save himself. Yeah, you're right. Jesus could not save himself and us at the same time. And so he stayed on that cross because he was on that cross to sacrifice his life to pay the penalty for our wrongdoing. He couldn't save himself and us at the same time in the same way. So he stayed on that cross in order to save us and not save himself. But the ironic thing is, the folks running around at the bottom of the cross said, Hey, buddy, you saved others. Can't you save yourself? The contempt, the mocking was incredible. And then I love the last thing that's recorded in Mark 15. As this Roman centurion, after he's watched Christ go through the crucifixion process, he says, surely this man was the son of God. Yeah, that's real good, centurion. Surely this man was the son of God. Now, folks, you got to remember. You got to remember what Jesus has done. You got to remember that he's at work now. And you got to remember that he has the future in his hands. He will return a second time. And that's how you grow in faith, by remembering him and then by thanking him. And then there's another great passage of Luke in Luke chapter 1, where Luke writes, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that had been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I decided to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. You've got to be kidding me. I thought the Bible was blah, 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 believe it. Blah, 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 have a mystical experience and believe it. No, 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 no. No, Luke was a medical doctor. And Luke says, hey, folks, guess what? I have made a careful study of all the events. I was not an eyewitness of Christ, but I've talked to the eyewitness, and I've put all these details down in an orderly account so that you may know the reason for your belief. What is this book? This book, the Bible, is a very accurate presentation of many historical events, particularly the Gospels, the history of Jesus. Read them for yourself. Don't take it from me. Don't take it from anybody else. Read them for yourself. But understand, this is accurate history. And secondly, it's more than just accurate history. It is God-inspired. It's the Word of God. And so therefore, if you want to meet with God, if you want to hear God, read His Word. Apply it to your life. So you've got to remember what this word is. It's not just another great work of literature. It's God-inspired, inspired by God's Holy Spirit. Oh, that sounds too magical. All right, fine. Just study the historicity of it, and you begin to understand this Bible is incredibly reliable. Remember and thank him. Remember and thank him. And read Luke chapter 9, verses 46 to 62. Jesus has just said, I'm going to die on a cross. And James and John, two of his closest buddies, come up to him and say, can we have the select seats in heaven? 
you got to be kidding me, James and John. What are you doing asking about seating when Jesus has just said, I'm going to die on a cross? Well, it's very simple. It is all about me. Life is all about me. James and John bought that lie. I've bought that lie many times. And you see, the importance of humility is incredible. And Jesus says, it's the one who is the least among you who is the greatest. In other words, humility is crucial. Humility is depending totally on the Lord for everything in every circumstance. Humility is depending totally on the Lord for everything in every circumstance. Well, the day before yesterday, the doctor said to me, Cliff, shut your eyes. We're going to start cutting. And he's a very talented guy. And I couldn't believe the discussion we got to have as he's cutting on the side of my head. He said, you know, Cliff, when I was 20 years old at Harvard, we pre-meds thought we really had our act together. We thought we were really sharp, that we knew medical stuff really well. 45 years later, I realized that some of that stuff I believed as a 20-year-old at Harvard was like bloodletting. So I'm lying there on, on, the, on the bed, and he's, he's got the knife going into the side of my head, and he, he says, you know, a lot of that stuff is like bloodletting. And I'm lying there with my eyes closed, and all of a sudden I remember, that's one of the ways that our first president died. Doctors thought that to bleed George Washington would lead to his health and recovery. No, it hastened George Washington's death, bloodletting. So I got this brilliant guy operating on the side of my head, acknowledging humility, Cliff, is crucial. Because I learned my lesson as a student at Harvard. We were so arrogant, it was embarrassing. Because now, 45 years later, I realize that some of the techniques we thought were so important 45 years ago are like bloodletting. Yeah, oh, that's right. But then he goes on and says, and you see, Cliff, that's why humility is so important. Because we don't know everything. Yes, we want to use our rational minds. Yes, I'm going to try and do the best job on the side of your head that I can. I said, thank you, doctor. But humility is crucially important because I don't know everything. And the day that I think I do, I'm a fool, an arrogant twit. And why is remembering humility so important? Because that's the only way I'm going to know God. Because that's the only way I'm going to repent and ask for forgiveness. Because that's the only way I'm going to have faith in God instead of ultimately in myself with humility. And that's the only way I'm going to go to heaven. Because I humble myself before Jesus Christ. I put my faith and trust in him. And he gives me the gift of eternal life. You want to grow in faith? It's not magical, friends. But it's very much in the depths of your heart. You remember God. You remember his goodness, his power, his might, his explosive creativity. And you give thanks. You give thanks to him. And as you give thanks to him... You're talking to a personal being, the living God, the real God, the true God, and you're establishing a spiritual relationship with him by giving thanks. So give thanks to him well, for that is one of the key ways to grow in knowing him personally. Let's bow and pray together.
Father in heaven, we bow before you, praising you and thanking you that you have given us rational minds to think and to remember, that you've given us emotions, you've given us wills that we can use to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your incredible generosity to us. Help us. Help us to be like those pilgrims who, in spite of the fact that they lost so many of their loved ones that first winter in New England, that they chose to focus on your goodness, your character, your generosity, and to give thanks. Help us to be a people who readily, quickly, spontaneously, and in a disciplined way, give thanks to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Welcome back, everyone, to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. I really hope you enjoyed this message from Cliff Connectly, Remembering God's Goodness, and I hope it's really inspired your faith to find a more personal, deep, and more profound relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you guys um, had time to meditate and that maybe you could even share this with somebody else who may be struggling on their faith or someone who doesn't even believe. So before we get going, I want to go ahead and remind everyone to go ahead and like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you may be listening to podcasts. It goes to helping this get onto the algorithm. And until next time we meet again, may God richly bless y'all, my dearly beloved.